0: delivering more value is definitely where ecosystems come into play because an insurance company is not going to be able to be everything to everybody, but if they could be that hub that connects all of these different pieces together and delivers that beautifully...
1: Well, another week flies past and here we are again, or if this is the first time you've come across us, then welcome. You are part of a rapidly growing audience. Matthew Grant here, one of the partners at Instec London and your host for our podcast. Now, if you have only just found us recently and haven't taken a look at the other 89 guests we've had on the podcast, then I'm sure you will find something of interest. We've had many leaders in insurance, technology, investment, insurtech, influencers a lot. Uh, and not just from the UK. Many of our guests these days are from the US, Europe and further afield. Of course, you can either scroll down through the list on whatever device you are listening on, but you might find it easier to head over to our website at London, where we have a whole section dedicated to the podcast, often with additional materials such as summaries of our interviews and links to other information you might find useful. But don't leave us just yet, as I've got a great guest coming up in a minute, Tony Grosso, who is VP of Marketing and Communications for the EIS Group. Now Tony brings together experience in IT, he started his own business, and he's spent quite a few years in marketing. And EIS joined us recently as a member of Instech London, and do hang in there to the end of the podcast to hear the story of how Tony discovered us Plus, of course, some very useful perspectives on the whole concept of core tech and how that's likely to bridge the gap between legacy and insurtech. tech. Now, we can't promise to make insurance itself fun here at Instec London, but we are having a crack at least enjoying talking about it. So over to Tony. Tony, it's wonderful to have you on the Instec London Podcast. Uh, you've been seven years at EIS. Before that, you were with the Hartford running product management, so you've got a, a good understanding of insurance and insurance companies. And before that, you had a background in IT. I know, notice you've also run your own startup for a couple of years. EIS itself, of course, is based in San Francisco, started back in 1999 and according to Crunchbase, uh, has got funding of $72 million. So we're delighted to have you. You're calling in today from South Carolina. One of the joys of, I guess, being digital is we can talk to people from all around the world. But, you know, thank you very much for joining us. How are you today?
0: I'm great, Matthew. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be part of InsureTech London and part of the community uh, and everything that you're doing there. And, yes, I I do have a, a good interesting background. Uh, Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, Early in the 2000s, I did a couple of startups in the technology and insurance space and so uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. It was better than any NBA uh, that you could have uh, purchased the life lessons from doing your own startups. And I did have a good run at the Hartford running a lot of innovations which and corporate venture capital, which we then worked with the entrepreneurs and emerging insure techs as they were then starting to be called around the uh, uh, 2012 timeframe.
1: Well, that's great. We, we're going to dig into some of those in a minute. I, I definitely you know, think, as you said, about lessons learned running your own business, you, one of the the things I think we all see is you can't blame anybody else when things go wrong. If it's, if it's your own business, you're the boss and you're responsible for it. Uh, but good to have that really strong background. But it's always intriguing to me to see where people have started off and where they end up or why they end up in insurance generally. So what was it for you that you were working in IT, but today you're working in marketing and communications? Some people might say those are two very different ends of the job spectrum. Uh, so what was it that took you from one to the other?
0: I started in architecture and I was an enterprise architect in the early 2000s at the Hartford. And I entered a leadership program where we were to identify a uh, disruption or a new business or an improvement uh, somewhere, anywhere in the uh, company. And I had a great idea and presented it to the CEO and CFO and As part of the program, they then said, well, when can you start running it? So before before long, I was running a business within the business of the Hartford and as part of everything that I was doing was always about marketing the ideas We're, were about selling the ideas and selling a vision. So for me morphing into a marketing role and heading marketing for EIS Group was just a really natural transition for all the things that I've done. I've never been a classically trained marketer, uh, but internally, I am a marketer. And so it was something very natural for me and uh, excited to be driving what we're doing here at EIS.
1: Well, I'm sure you must have some of the best marketing analytical systems and uh, general uh, customer management systems of anybody, given your combination of skills from the IT background and marketing. So uh, rather jealous of that. Uh, but let's talk a bit about EIS and in particular, some of the ways you describe yourself. So I notice that you refer to uh, the InsurTech ecosystem. Uh, we also use that word, but I'm just kind of intrigued. How do you, how do you de- think about that? and How do you define it?
0: We just believe that the whole world is is moving towards the ecosystem model. Uh, McKinsey has uh, a bunch of really fantastic content about that, about 30% of the economy will be running through 12 major ecosystems, uh, global economy by 2025. What we also believe is that uh, there's a lot of insurtechs out there that do really great things. You know, each of them taken on their own, They're a little a niche product or a niche experience. And they have to, right, because they're, they're a startup, they're an entrepreneur, and they have to focus on one particular experience. And so, but from a, an, an insurer's perspective, it's really important to keep that big picture. You know, an insurer is not just a, an on-demand product. An insurer is not just insuring your iPhone An insurance uh, ecosystem is going to and will encompass many different insurtechs that the insurance company themselves will bring together as the hub and deliver this holistic experience all the way across their products. So from from our perspective, the world is moving to an ecosystem, insurtechs are a huge part of that ecosystem. They're one part of it. And it's all about orchestrating. And that's where we believe the world is, is going for insurance companies.
1: Well, that's very interesting because you've expanded the concept of ecosystem there to the way the customer looks. at so- how they interact with insurance companies. We tend to, because we're all from technology, tend to think of ecosystems as being technology orientated and it's definitely partly what you're referring to there. But I, I think there's an important element in that that we're going to touch on in, in a few minutes about how the customer, you know, risk is stating the obvious, but sometimes we forget this. You know, the customer's got needs for risk prevention. Uh, they want to get looked after when things break or they lose things. And that, in, in their mind, their insurance company is an ecosystem that solves their problems. There's another, just, you know, we're talking about terminology and another, another term that you've mentioned, the word core tech. What, what do you mean by that and how does that link into or connect to insure tech?
0: If we all believe the fundamental principle that insurance has disrupted and it has changed forever. Why would we believe that technology systems that were designed for a different problem of insurance are going to be architected in a way that's going to take us through to the future of insurance, if, in fact, insurance has disrupted beyond what we all recognize? That it's time that the industry creates a new term or a new uh, uh, design, a new paradigm, new architecture for their Cortex systems. Well, I just said it, Cortex. So we have modern legacy systems that were, did a fantastic job in 2005, 2010, when companies were coming off of mainframes and coming off of um, AS400 systems. But those were really, that was the world of insurance when it was product centric. It was selling a product through a specific channel. It was all about internally focused objectives, right? I want process efficiency so I can reduce my cost, uh, straight through processing, workflow, document generation, right? There was a lot of internally focused uh, mentality, which was important at the time because there was a lot of manual processing and workarounds that these modern legacy systems solve. But, the world is disrupted, it's now customer centric, it's now open, it's now ecosystem centric. You have InsurTechs, which I described earlier, provide great niche solutions, but not really scalable or have that full footprint for an enterprise. So you have your modern legacy, which has the footprint deep functionality, but the, architect, the business architecture and technology architecture that is not suited for the future. Then you have the InsureTechs, which has which have the right Business models and technology, but not suited with the deep functionality and proven scalability. And in the middle is what we call Cortec. It's the combination. It's the perfect combination of the two. It's it's built, born in the insurance industry, so it has the enterprise view, the deep functionality, proven scalability. But it shares the DNA of Insuretech, and that is what we believe the term for the platform of the future should be is Cortec.
1: Okay, so can you just build on that and talk a little bit about what you're doing at EIS around that area of core tech and, and other things that you're doing beyond that?
0: What we're doing is building the, the core tech platform of the future. We have the deep functionality. We have the proven scalability. Uh, we have the scars on our back for, for implementations of multiple millions of policies uh, running on, on the platform every single day, right? We have that, we, we have the know-how in, in, in delivering large scale implementations but also the ability to deliver an Insurance Company a greenfield new innovation with zero premium, zero policies. We believe that uh, the only way to go through the future is to be cloud-native, because what a lot of companies are doing now is they're taking their modern legacy enterprise system and just simply putting it into the cloud. So it's really an enterprise-hosted system. It's just hosted in the cloud, which is good, but it's not great. You're not taking full advantage of the cloud. We believe you really need to be cloud-native, and you need to be open uh, with thousands of APIs so that... Everything that you do in your core system can be connected externally. There's no reason that an insurance company with today's technology should ever have to go through a big bang upgrade again. It's not necessary any, anymore. Insurance should be delivered every week to production. should be able to take upgrades seamlessly, just like when you're upgrading the, the operating system on your phone, but taking bite-sized chunks, not big bang upgrades. And it needs to be delivered in, in a SaaS model. So,
1: Tony, with EIS themselves, I mean, you clearly have seen some some pretty significant opportunities in there, both based on your own experience and what's happening in the world. But can you just talk a little bit about what it is you're offering with the systems you're providing through EIS?
0: Sure. We are uh, helping our customers to uh, launch new products, new innovations, uh, but also to do enterprise transformation so what we focus on with our customers is the new let's you know let's let's not focus about your your uh, legacy or traditional transformation yet let's get you the new whether it's a new product <clears throat> whether it's a new service whether it's a new distribution channel let's get you the new. And so we're helping our customers do that. We're getting them up and running to market very quickly. And then what we're doing is then helping them transform their entire organization, their entire uh, enterprise onto this platform of the future.
1: It sounds like to me what you're saying is that the, the best you know, recommendation for insurance companies is the best way to introduce new systems is to look at areas that haven't been building our systems before so don't try and tackle the difficult stuff by replacing legacy look where new opportunities are look where new innovations are eis helps them implement that once you've got that delivered and stabilized you can then start to help them do the harder work with replacing their their legacy systems building on a a system that's functioning already is that is that a fair description of how you see the world
0: i i love the way you described it because it was so it made so much sense uh but it, and, and that is exactly what we what we advocate and and it really came from years of experience you know we all have the scars on our backs of of doing the large-scale transformation and, and what we learned is to focus on the, the new a definable problem uh get the new premium on your books get the new product to market and then what happens is you as the insurance company become the expert on the technology, the expert on our technology or any technology for that matter. And once you're the expert on a project that's containable, you then yourselves can identify where else in your company, your enterprise that this technology will fit. And you now know better than anybody else, uh, how it will fit and how to go about it. Therefore, you're going to greatly reduce the risk of your enterprise transformation so it's, it's a beautiful thing. You're going to get the new to market, so new premium or new products that you don't have today. Right, Get the new. And you become the expert and you de-risk your enterprise transformation. And we've learned over the year, we have several customers doing that now. And pretty much most of the customers that we work with will follow this pattern. And they're they're now doing tremendous things and they've moved beyond Greenfield and they are now doing enterprise transformation.
1: And... Just talking then about how insurance companies themselves are innovating. I mean, this is one of the big challenges many of them have in terms of where they look to bring innovation in. I think where a number have struggled with their own innovation teams trying to change existing businesses. But are you seeing now that the insurance companies themselves are recognizing, you know, almost independently of that point about changing technology, but the, the benefit of innovating in these new greenfield initiatives, for presumably new product lines, new customers, new lines of business, yeah, are they starting to be more effective in terms of speed to market and how they're working with people to do, to do that? Or is it still, are we still seeing some of the challenges for the existing insurance companies to truly embrace innovation in those areas?
0: I don't think that there's a challenge anymore of embracing innovation. I think it's a, it's a given uh, at this point. But what's now becoming critical is what you said about speed. It's speed. We believe can be your competitive weapon with the right technology.
1: Well, I want to come back and talk about speed in a minute because that is it, it is more than just a word, uh, and it means a lot of different things. I just want to talk a bit about your your clients because it's always helpful to get some reality around you know who people are working with. So, you operate in life and health. You're also operating in PNC. I notice you do work with AIG, CSAA, Liberty Mutual. Uh, are there any other companies you can talk about? Any examples you can give of what you're doing with? Any of those clients?
0: Let me give you two really, really exciting ones. So Liberty Mutual, who is just a fantastic company. I mean, their their IT department at Liberty Mutual is the best I have ever I have ever seen. These guys are, and gals, they are super technologists and uh, just an exciting uh, place to be. And they have taken our platform across the globe, across uh, multiple lines of business, across uh, uh, a A&H, Accident and Health, uh, PNC renters, auto, home. They are uh, now, and, and it has started in North America, delivering the new that I talked about, delivering the new in record time. And they've now taken it to Ireland and Spain, and uh, they, are running multiple countries on a single instance, and from what I've been told is uh, uh, something that's not very common in uh, the European market. Certainly, insurers run on multiple countries, uh, but not but on different instances. I'd also love to talk about tower insurance.
1: We'll come back to that in a second. I just want to make sure we pick up on that single instance. Um, I'm pretty sure I know what that means, but I don't want to go down the wrong track. So for those that are listening and don't quite understand what single instance means versus multiple instance, can you can you just describe what that means in practice in terms of how the software is
0: being deployed? You install the system one time, and you have a, a product that uh, knows where it lives. And what I mean by that, uh, you have an auto product, it knows Uh, when it's being delivered in Ireland, for example, it knows the rules and the regulations and the pricing for Ireland. Uh, When it's delivered in Spain, for example, it knows the the regulations, the rules, the pricing uh, for the Spanish market, but you're defining it one time. So it creates tremendous efficiency. So if you, you And what this allows you to do is have a single call center that can take calls from all over the world uh, because it's one single implementation, one single instance. So in the modern legacy way of doing multi-country, while technically it's the same platform, it's the same vendor, you're installing multiple different instances running basically separate. Single instance, all of that is gone. Think of it like Salesforce. Do you only use Salesforce? One instance, uh, no matter where you're operating in the world.
1: That was very clarifying. I'm glad I asked you. And then uh, it sounds like you had another case study or client you were about to talk about. So it'd be great just to hear a bit more about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, at Tower Insurance out of New Zealand, who is really doing fascinating stuff, they, are, they want to be a fully digital uh, company, really modern. And so they're selling direct-to-consumer like many other companies, but they're also selling their insurance through trade me insurance. So uh in an ecosystem world. So if you're not familiar with trade me insurance, trade or trade me, trade me is the eBay of New Zealand and they have different marketplaces. So they're also selling their products through trade me insurance in that marketplace. They're able to put their products where their customers shop. So you can go to Tower Insurance on their website, buy insurance, or you can go because you're you're Familiar with the TradeMe brand, you're out there shopping and you get your insurance offer right through TradeMe. It's going right through Tower, right into the EIS system. And the EIS system is smart enough to know the channel that you're coming from so that you can have maybe perhaps different pricing or different offers uh, based off of the channel. And so they are a really great example of living the ecosystem world.
1: And that, yeah, I guess the whole concept of embedded insurance, or not embedded, but at least at the, yeah, at the point of purchase, you include the insurance and just reduce that that friction. Now, it's that's really interesting to hear. Uh, so, Tony, I want to talk a little bit about open. Uh, you've, you've sort of alluded to this in a few areas and, and mentioned a few words, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of different types of openness, shall we say, uh, out there now, and it's sort of open versus proprietary. We talk about open source, open architecture, open APIs, open integration layers. Can you just talk a little bit about the difference between the technology providers that are out there today and those that are providing open ways of accessing their technology and communicating between different technologies versus maybe more closed systems or proprietary systems, which is certainly, yeah, that was the way people used to do things in the past. It'd be interesting to know if that's very much the future now, or there's still companies that are looking at really offering closed systems and are not so interested in offering open open source or open APIs?
0: Well, as you asked the question, it actually kind of made me think, you know, back in the early 2000s, right, the insurance world was closed itself. The insurance company pretty much had everything that they need, right, in the, into their little silos. So why did they ever need to go out and integrate with all sorts of different partners? Sure, they needed to get data uh, every once in a while, but, you know, you could poke a hole into your silo wall to do that. It wasn't a, a true need. So, therefore, the modern legacy systems that were designed for that time never really needed to be open. They never really needed to embrace that because that's not what their customers were asking for. Also, the mindset back then was, well, I'm going to create this proprietary technology. It's going to give me a differentiator and everybody will want it and I'm the only one that can give it to you. Uh, I think that's also an outdated mindset uh, because what we've seen with that, just like we saw with the... uh, Uh, with the mainframe is sustainability. So anything that's proprietary, anything that's not open is really going to run the long-term risk of sustainability. Are you going to be able to find people who can work on that in 10 years? We, as a tech company out of Silicon Valley, have taken a really different approach. We believe in open source technology. Uh, and what that means is it's technology that's supported globally by anybody really as part of that open source community. In fact, we believe in it so much. We created our own uh, technology. It's called OpenL. And, and we we believe, so rather than taking the, oh, this is great technology, you can only get it from us. Rather than taking that approach, we actually gave it to the open source community. So you can go out to uh, the OpenL and download that technology, start using it for free. And in fact, we find insurance companies who who are using it uh, unbeknownst to us because it's all part of the open source community. And with that comes sustainability, right? You, You now have developers all over the globe who are familiar with that technology, maybe not familiar with the way that we're using it exactly in our system, but familiar with the technology and they can learn exactly how we're using it. So it really gets to the question of, or the point of sustainability
1: for the long term. Yeah, very interesting. And it does seem to be the way the world is moving and more advantages for being open than than being in closed system. We talked briefly earlier on about speed, and speed means lots of things. But I think what we both agreed on, we spoke earlier, was that to get ahead these days, there isn't time for organizations, whether they're startups or wherever they are, to build businesses without really early stage proof points and actually fairly quickly being able to help insurance organizations get some real value. And, and I tend to sort of think it, that about it as a 12-month sort of maximum time period because that's the, the way the, sort of the heartbeat of the insurance industry works. But you've talked about speed quite a bit. What does it mean for you uh, generally and also with what you're doing at, at EIS?
0: Well, yeah, we, we believe that speed uh, can be your competitive weapon as an insurance company. So uh, getting products to market, uh, you need, it doesn't necessarily need to be faster or the fastest but getting products to market uh, quickly when your customers want them and need them. And with the technology of today, with the core tech technology that's big, that's delivered on DevOps, uh, which is really deploying on demand, eliminating that big bang upgrade, deploying changes to market daily uh, that, if weekly, monthly, whatever the case may be, the low-code, no-code model really brings that speed paradigm, uh, uh, gives you that competitive weapon. I'll give you one example. You have an existing product in market, you're hearing in a test and learn manner that, boy, if I just had one or two of these new types of coverages onto this existing product, I could really start to win the day and make some progress here with with my market share. In today's world, if you look at the Noverica reports, I could take up to three months just making this one change to a product. And we're talking about in our true speed as a competitive weapon model, you're doing that in one to two sprints. You're getting that idea in the morning, and one to two sprints later, you're out the door with your changes, winning the day.
1: And by sprints, you're thinking about the sort of, what, sort of two, three-week sprint period for an agile methodology, or is that even just faster? With, with uh, No, that,
0: that's correct. Yeah. You're, you're correct, yeah.
1: Good. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. Now, the other thing you talk about, which I think is a great phrase to sort of throw around to show your, you, you're kind of up there with the latest technology, is uh, thousands of APIs running in in a headless function. Um, So what does does that actually mean as well?
0: It it took me a little time to get used to that as our engineers started using that. Uh, We have one demo, we call it the headless demo. And I'm like, how do you demo something that's headless? (laughs) Um, But it goes like this. Everything that you do in the platform, a Cortec platform, all the rules, the products that you create are now available through any system of engagement. So no longer do you need to use our uh, user screens or our own apps or um, chatbots or anything like that because everything is so accessible through an API, what it allows our customers to do is focus on building the front end because only they know what their customers want. You know, No longer should an insurance company have to take a mobile app or a web portal from a vendor who has some broad generic I- experience. Uh, it doesn't need to be that way anymore. We handle all the nuts and bolts of the insurance operation, all the gritty details of issuing a policy or generating a bill or delivering a quote. Uh, and we expose all that through a really simple APIs that are that are, are persona based. So that what it allows our customers to do is they can then focus their engineers and their talent on building the experience that is right for their customer. And when they want to get a quote, they don't have to uh, create that insurance or recreate that insurance functionality. All they do is they call the get a quote API and pass along the information that they've collected, we do all the churning and all the gritty bits and we just send the data back and they can deliver it in whatever, it could be Alexa, it could be a mobile phone, it could be a portal, a website, it doesn't matter.
1: Makes so much sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's interesting the companies that are out there, some of them are leading with their API first strategy, meaning that's a key advantage they offer. I mean, it makes it a little bit trickier to demonstrate I thing, but clearly, that ability, it comes back to our discussion around platforms and it makes it easier to be able to, to integrate. Um, well, good. And then, Tony, you noticed you did a survey recently and I was really interested by one of the results. You said one in three respondents had identified that moving beyond protection to deliver more value to customers was one of the, mo- was the most important objective for insurers of the future. So yeah, one in three people are saying that it, protection is actually – yeah, the the key area to to deliver on. Can you just talk a bit more about the survey and, and what your sort of implications were of
0: those findings? Yeah, it was a, a bit of a surprise to us as well, uh, because it, it's kind of so far out there. And it was a survey to insurance companies, uh European, predominantly UK-based insurance companies, but 30% of yards were were throughout Europe as well. And so what the majority, or a third at least, they gravitated towards moving beyond protection to deliver more value to customers. And that means beyond just a product. So, beyond just insuring a thing. Well, I, you know, like probably we used to look at insurance uh, 10, 20 years ago. I have things and I want to protect those things because things are what matter to me. But with the millennial, it's less about things and it's about the greater experience. So what they want to do is they want to be able to protect their lifestyle and their experience. Uh, Sometimes things are part of that. And so for insurance to be able to move beyond protecting things to protecting lifestyles to delivering more value is definitely where ecosystems come into play because an insurance company is not going to be able to be everything to everybody. But if they could be that hub that connects all of these different pieces together and delivers that beautifully elegant experience, those are the ones that are going to move beyond just protection to deliver the protection of a lifestyle and an experience.
1: Yeah. And it's such a win-win, isn't it? Because, yeah, there are companies now starting to not just in the personal lines, the retail space, but also in the commercial lines, find ways to reduce the risk, help their customers reduce the risk. And one of the ones we're seeing over here in the UK is companies offering insurance companies assistance with warning their clients that a flood is coming you know, and getting down to sort of the resolution of the street level so that people can actually do something about it as opposed to the moment in the UK, you go people go to the environmental agency and it'll say, England's at risk from flooding. You know, what is it doesn't really tell you very much. So this whole idea about your insurance company being there to help you, the challenge, I think, the challenge is how do you then get? How do they? generate money for that, but I think it's part of the brand. So you know, it's, it's, I think it's a surprise at some level, but as you dig into it, I think it does start to make more sense. And I think that's a good signal of direction for the insurance industry. I actually just wrote, like, I just wrote a piece
0: on that. And you know, especially w- with all the comparative raters that are going on, uh, insurance companies are becoming uh, faceless and, and nameless. You know, next year, I'll, I'll do my search again and find a cheaper one. Uh, but, but that's how you counter that. Matthew, is delivering value after the purchase, right? How are you going to be there in people's lives to add value and help them? And that's where loyalty comes in. And that is what insurers need to do to be able to you know, counter this nameless, faceless paradigm that they're being thrust into.
1: Good. Well, well, we'll put a link for that article in the episode notes as well, Tony. Well, uh, we've been talking for a while, but we're very delighted to have EIS support for InState London, you came across us when we were actually doing live live events as opposed to live remote events and joined us and 250 other people in the steel yard. But I, I'd be delighted to learn a little bit more about what it was that motivated you to uh, become a corporate member of State London.
0: Well, I was I was out in the UK, uh, in London, uh, several months ago, preparing for our launch uh, into the market, You know, get, getting ready, and uh, a friend of mine, David Clamp, who is uh, a member, he was like, you know, I'm going to this event tonight, you really should come, uh, it's getting, I was like, I don't know, David, I'm so busy, yeah, but he's like, trust me, just go, so I went, and boy, I will say, uh, it was... I, the, the amount of networking, the amount of people I met in just a couple of hours, uh, really an important partners uh, as well, uh, tax uh, SI partners, insurance companies. I mean, everybody was there. Everybody was open to dialogue and networking. I was having a great time and a few great beers. And uh, then at the end of the night, David's like, well, oh, you know, get up on stage. It's an open mic, basically. So I was like, I don't know. So he pushes me up on stage. I give a, you know, a one minute overview of, of who we are. And, and then I get more connections from that. So it was really, yeah, I was so glad that uh, David pushed me to go. And I was so glad to have gone. And I really enjoy being part of that community. Uh, and now the online community in hopefully soon enough, the um, in-person community.
1: Yeah, well, that was tremendous, so thank, thank you for that support. And uh, David's a good friend of ours. But yeah, I mean, the people have they've had all sorts of interesting experiences from standing up on stage. They found capacity, capital, employers. Uh, I say partners, but I don't think anybody's found a romantic partner yet. But maybe they have. <laughs> um, but who knows? But you mentioned also in there, of course. You shouldn't forget your UK launch and. You, uh, you've announced that on the 20th of May, which was quite gutsy given what we've all been going through. Uh, obviously, that had been planned for a while. But can you just talk a little bit about what your aspirations are for your launch into the UK and, and also a bit about the timing as well?
0: Well, we've been looking at the UK market and Europe uh, holistically for over a year. So I spent a good amount of time last year in the market evaluating, talking to hundreds of people, insurance companies, analysts, uh, system integrators. And what I've... uh, learned in that time is that innovation is strong in Europe and especially strong in the UK. The disruption that is taking place is very similar to the disruptions that we're helping carriers navigate through in North America. And so we looked at it as a a natural uh, expansion of our company. And in fact, I think seventy percent of our employees. We have a thousand employees. I think sixty to seventy percent are uh, in Europe already. Uh, that's where we do all of our development and our service implementation. Folks, they're all in Europe, and so for us, it was very natural. And yeah, the timing—the uh, timing was was challenging, but quite honestly, we believe that we have to earn our spot in the market. So we're starting with brand recognition. Uh, adding value to the community participating in organizations like insure london being a thought leader adding value and then we believe the opportunities will come
1: excellent well we look forward to hearing more about that success story and checking back in uh, in the near future Well, such great confidence to launch a business in the middle of a pandemic. And I know we are going to be hearing a lot more about EIS Group over here in the UK very soon. In fact, you can see and hear Tony in action on our live chat event on the 9th of July at 4pm UK time when we are talking about platforms of the future. Uh, One final request. If you haven't already found and signed up to our newsletter, then please do give it a go. It's the yellow button on the top right of the website at www.eisgroup.com. Uh, In addition to recording the podcast and jointly running Instec London, I'm also editing the newsletter and we're getting a great open rate for those that sign up to it as well as some really good feedback. So give it a go if you want to know what we think is worth following and our pick of the best commentators on the current news plus access to some of the funding that's out there just now. That's it for today but if you want to stay with us have a look at some of our previous episodes, founders, investors, senior leaders from large insurers, if they weren't friends before I spoke to them, they certainly are now.